Well, take your Bible this morning and turn to Ephesians chapter number four, if you would, please. Ephesians and chapter number four. Once again, um, we'll emphasize our theme, teach them. The theme is actually found in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 and 20. Uh, where the Word of God tells us where Jesus is commissioning His disciples to go and teach all nations. That's verse 19. Teach all nations. Make, literally make disciples of them. Preach the gospel. See them saved. But once they're saved, they need to be baptized. And that's what verse 19 is about. Seeing them saved, baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. The name, singular, because we're speaking of the Trinity. And then what happens is after they are baptized, they need to grow. They need to understand the new life that they have. And so he says, teaching them to observe all things. It's not, um, it's not a buffet where you just pick out what you want to teach. Okay, now you can go to a buffet this afternoon for lunch. But, but when Jesus told us to go, he said, teach them all things. All things. Whatsoever I've commanded you, and lo or behold... I'm with you all the way, even to the end of the world, which would mean the end of the end of time and of the age. And, um, and so I'm thankful to God for that great assurance. So teach them. That's our thing. All right. Now we're looking at chapter four, the book of Ephesians. Let's begin reading in verse 11. And uh, we probably won't read through the whole chapter, the rest of the chapter. But primarily today, we're going to be focusing on verse 17 through 24. Uh, one of my favorite passages of Scripture is right here in Ephesians 4. All right. Verse 11 through 16 is actually one long sentence. One sentence. Now, I wrote run-on sentences in English and was corrected, but this is an inspired <laughs> run-on sentence. Okay. All right. So... And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and, what does it say? Teachers. Teachers. He gave some. He gave some. For, for what purpose? For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Till, how long? He answers that in verse 13. Till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, and to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Okay, has anybody here reached that? Nope, that means we need to keep preaching, keep teaching. And so we're, until we're all like Christ. That, here's the purpose, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slate of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive but speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. From whom? <laughs> He's not done yet. Verse 16. From whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. Mm. Wow. That is so good. This I say, therefore, okay, there's the connecting. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that ye henceforth, so like from here on out, for, from now on, from henceforth, that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the, in the vanity of their mind. 
Okay, let, let me pause here to maybe help you to pay attention to this. Notice how many times he references uh, words that have to do with our perception or our understanding. Okay, so I want you to see this, all right? So again, verse 17, if I may. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their what? Heart who being past feeling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness. But he says, notice the contrast, but ye have not so learned Christ. If so be that ye have heard him and been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. You've been taught by him, see, and the truth is in Jesus, that ye put off the old man concerning the former conversation. I'm sorry, let me read that again. Verse 22, that ye, here's what he taught you, that ye put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your what? Mind. And he taught you this, that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness, wherefore, put in away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, neighbor, for we are members one of another. And he's going to do that through the rest of the chapter with the deeds of the old man. He's going to say, listen, stop doing that. Start doing this. Here's why. Okay. So we're not going to really delve into all those. So we'll certainly reference verses 25 through 32 because it all builds uh, on what we've read uh, in what Jesus taught. Okay, so here's the, here's the title of today's message. Taught by him to teach them. Taught by him. In fact, if you've, if you've paid attention or if you've been here for uh, the first part of this year and the preaching that we endeavor to do on the theme, um, then you probably have caught a lot of what we've been covering is our source for teaching them. Because if we don't have a good source, we really don't have anything to teach them. But if we tie into the source, we've got reason to teach till Jesus comes again. Taught by him to teach them. May God bless the reading of his word. As I mentioned just last Sunday, a great example of a Sunday school teacher went to heaven, David Milliken. And though David Perkle here mentioned, you know, sometimes uh, you don't realize who we have among us, you know, until somebody's gone, you don't realize all that they did. Um, and so I shared some of these things with the folks and the auditorium was, was full um, on, on um, Friday as we had the service, um, which indicates that in many of our estimations, perhaps, although I learned that he had quite a fun and crazy way about him, but to me, he was like a quiet man <laughs> and he was just hiding a lot. <laughs> 
Uh, he had quite the personality. And so I shared a lot of these things, and I, I'm not going to go over all that I shared that day, and certainly it's not my intention to restore the emotions of the family or any of our emotions for that matter, but I think, I think the example that generally he was is worthy of all of us uh, considering uh, because uh, the role of a husband, dad, and, and well, Christian, husband, dad, and teacher needs to be done right. <laughs> and it was done right. So if you'd allow me, just, just a few comments here as we get into our text. Uh, by way of the example that I now know that Brother David Milliken set. He was born and raised in Chickasha, Oklahoma. He didn't grow up in church. He didn't grow up in church. Um, he may have attended the church prior to being 30-something, but uh, really it was when he was in his 30s, early 30s, that he got in church. His niece, uh, actually Brittany Davison's mom, Sandy Crowder, uh, was more like a sister to him and invited him, and, and listen to this, kept inviting him. By the way, if you're inviting somebody to come, don't give up. He'd say things like this, we'll see. We'll see. Come to church, David. We'll see. Has anybody ever been told that? <laughs> we'll see. Well, one day he came and thank God he heard the gospel. I don't know that it was that first uh, particular service, but in the process of time, he heard the gospel, walked the aisle. John Griswood, Sarah Bailey's dad, actually led him to Christ. So there's a lot of connections here. It's very fascinating. But anyways, that began a process of growth. Brother Ron Cottle, who is his father-in-law, uh, was pastor there eventually at, at uh, Calvary Baptist Church of Chickasha, began to disciple him, to teach him over several bowls of Brahms ice cream. Is that right, Brother Cottle? And he's got quite the sweet tooth. I learned that as well. And it was also through ice cream, as Brother David would bring that, that he won the opportunity to marry Brother Cottle and Miss Cottle's daughter, Terry, through ice cream. So, single men, <laughs> take note. Brahms, ice cream. Amen. That began a process of growth and development in Brother David's life that, that uh, everything was new to him. 30-something years old, beginning to learn some of these stories for the very first time, but it, but it also created in him a desire to teach others. See, because when, when God has, uh, has affected your life, that you, you don't want it to keep it to yourself, see. You want to share it with others. And so he began to teach. Brother Cottle called on him to be a, an Awana's commander and then also in a church plant down in Lawton, he got the opportunity to teach. But here he taught fourth grade boys. We learned at the introduction of this very series just how important that fourth grade is. Somebody has said that it is life's turning point, the fourth grade, because they have the, the mind of an adult because they can pay attention for longer spans of time. I said they could pay attention for longer spans of time, just in case somebody checked out on me right there. But uh, they had the mind of the adult, but the heart of a child. So they are teachable in that sense. But in fifth grade, things change because they have the uh, mind of an adult, but they also have the heart of an adult. And things are beginning to trend and change differently. And thus, they think they know better than you know. Some of you have a fifth grader. You know what I'm talking about. And some people don't get over fifth grade. 
but he taught fourth grade. I just uh, went in the classroom and uh, he has on the board, learn more in 2024. Learn more. I hope that's why you're in church today. I want to learn more. I want to learn more. Learn more in 2024. Church planning conference, January 16th, 17th, and 18th. This is this past week, and my soul, God gave us a great conference, but, but he had that up there because he wanted to encourage them to know what was going on and maybe even to attend to come. And I, yeah. 7 p.m. to question mark. Because <laughs> there's no telling when you'll get out with church planning conference. If you're here Wednesday night, you know what I'm talking about. He would visit the third grade boys class so that he would know them before they got to his fourth grade class. Then he would keep visiting the ones that he taught. He'd go up to the youth department to find former students. <laughs> or he'd go out to the bus and he'd catch some that he used to teach. That's the heart of a teacher. I understand from Miss Terry that he made brownies on most Saturday nights. He made brownies. He's got my respect right there. <laughs> but then he would, uh, he would bring, and I use this on, on, on the, in the service, but this is very interesting. In fact, I heard from Brother Seth this first because Brother Seth would open up the, um, the Jim and Brother David sometimes would be coming in at the same time Brother Seth is unlocking. And he said, man, I always saw him with a five-gallon bucket. And what he would do is he'd put Cokes in the bucket and he'd get to the, to the uh, kitchen here and he'd put ice in it so that then by the time, you know, Sunday school's over, the Cokes were cold. He got here about 8.30 in the morning, driving about 40 to 50 miles, you know, leaving early to get here by that time. The boys were on the bus and he's getting ready to teach and put that ice on there, have the Cokes cold so that at the end of class he could give them uh, the Cokes and then also the brownies, get them really sugared up for the service, <laughs> right? But every day, and, and, and they were teasing that he was too cheap to buy a cooler, so he brought the five-gallon bucket, right? So anyways, I'd like to use that here this morning. But my point is this. He had a real heart and desire to teach them. Have I made the case this morning that he had that desire? Could I ask you this morning, do you have that same desire? You may not have a class. By the way, you don't, you don't have to have a podium or a pulpit to preach or teach. No, all you need is just a pew and sit beside somebody in it. All you need is maybe a, a, a bus seat and sit beside somebody in it or just at work across the table. All you need is a table. All you need is maybe a chair. All you need is just stand out in the hallway or out in the foyer a little while and, and talk and teach somebody. But, it, but it's got to be in your heart first. But, but why? Why did he have such a heart? Well, obviously, I think at an early age, they needed to know the truth. It's astounding today how much that even children are bombarded by just filth and raunchiness and wickedness and vile ways of living and it's packaged in, 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 uh, in cartoons and, and sitcoms and, and Disney has put it into movies and, and they're, selling, uh, they're selling kids falsehood. 
And I thank God for a man. I thank God for men. And I thank God for ladies that at this very hour, and many of you take your turn, either helping or teaching it. You try to do what you can, or your mom or your dad. Hey, we've got a big job to do here to teach the next generation because they're bombarded with so much falsehood and error and wrong thinking. But I think this more of the reason that he had such a heart to teach them is because of what God had taught him. You see, really, that is the essence of our theme this year is that we are to teach them because he and I'm going to say it this way. He is teaching us, not just that he taught us. We're going to look at that here in Ephesians 4. Yes, he has taught us. But the idea is that he is continuing to teach us because friends and neighbors, as Brother Sam often says, friends and neighbors, we've got a lot to learn teach them. Paul was concerned about the people in Ephesus because they too were being bombarded by the error of their culture. And, and then we were talking about Epaphroditus and others, goddesses. And you can just imagine some of the, the wicked, twisted things that took place even under the name of religion. Diana of the Ephesians and, and, and the, the false doctrine that was there, the, the idolatry that was there, the immorality that was there, the, the violence that was there. I mean, they were combating all that. And I'm telling you, friend, there's one thing that can combat all that, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ and his truth that he teaches us. And that's what Paul is dealing with here. I wish we had time to really walk through verses 11 through 16, but you can see he gave some apostles and prophets and preachers and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, because it's not the pastors that's supposed to do all the work, but all of us are supposed to do the work of the ministry to help the church grow. I will tie into verse 16. Is that all right? Verse 16, look at it again, if you would, please. From whom? Talking about from Jesus, the whole body. The body is the church. By the way, not a universal body. No, it can't be universal. We're not gathered with all the other believers. No, we're just gathered here at Southwest Baptist Church because that's the definition of the word church. If you can't assemble it, it's not a church. That was free. Floating that out there because that's what the word means. From whom the whole body... Look at this, if you would, please. Fitly joined together. You know what that means? That means we need to have contact with one another. See, Christ has supplied what we need as in this new life. You see, okay, wait a minute, I jumped too far. Chapters one through three is about salvation, that we were dead, friend. Listen, if you're not saved today, you're dead spiritually. But the God who brought Lazarus out of the grave can also make you alive spiritually. And you can hear the gospel message and know that you're a sinner and you don't deserve heaven, but he loved you and died in your place and was buried in that old grave, but came forth alive and is able to save anybody that's here that needs salvation. That's Ephesians chapters one, two, and three, that he has given you new life as he's writing to believers. And I'm saying to you today, dear believer, you have been given through Jesus Christ, brand new life and look around, you got a new family. Who's, who's my new family? Well, the other believers. And he placed you in a church family upon your baptism. You're, pl you're placed in this church family and, and he's, he's put us together and it's compacted by that which every joint supplies. Did you see that? Every joint, every ligament, every, every sinew. Are you following me here? That means this, you are important to this church family. And everybody here, 
needs to be connected to everybody here. Hey, I get it. I, I understand. It's kind of challenging uh, in a larger church family. That's one of the biggest challenges, Brother Ted, is Angie and I moved here because I was pastoring a church in Missouri that we're in about 125 or so. And listen, every single Sunday and every single week, I'd have interaction with every one of them. That's kind of tough here. And there's some of you I haven't talked to in a while. It's not because I'm avoiding you. I just haven't seen you. This is a larger church family. I get that. But nonetheless, this is a church family where we get to be connected. And that's what I love about Southwest Baptist Church is that even though it is a larger church, it still has that smaller church feel. Every joint compacted by that which, which every joint supplieth. Did you see that word? That means make available whatever is necessary to help. Hey, listen, the Millican family's already given testimony how much help that they've been receiving uh, by way of meals and just in words of encouragement. That's the way, friends and neighbors, that it's supposed to work. That which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working, that means that, that activity that is supernaturally charged through God and that, that uh, every, every part supplies in the measure of every part, in the measure of every part. You know what that means? That means that it's not like one group is supposed to do more than the other group, but it's every, every part does its part. I like to tell the new members class that life in church is not like the gondolero, the gondola in, in Venice, where you've got one person. How are we doing? Going down the stream, one person doing all the work. No, it's more like a rowing team. A church is meant to be more like a rowing team where the coxswain maybe calls cadence and saying row and row. And, and, but then as we all have our oar and we're not hitting one another with it. But we're rowing together. That's the way a church is supposed to work together. Well, if I'm going to get you to lunch, we better move ahead. Verse number 17. Since we are new people in a new family, then there must be a new way of thinking. New people, new family needs a new way of thinking. And look how earnest Paul is in this, as he says in verse 17, this I say, therefore, and testify. I affirm, I compel you to think this way. I testify in the Lord that you henceforth. Hey, listen, it doesn't matter how you used to live. If you're saved today, you ought to be living differently than the way that you used to live. That you henceforth walk not. The word walk there means your manner of life, the, the way that you live your life. That you walk not as other Gentiles walk. Look at this. In the vanity or the emptiness, the, the perversity of their minds. Why is that? Well, he goes on to explain, but I, I want to go slow enough here that everybody's following me. Henceforth, that means no longer. From now on, your daily living ought to look different. Not like the Gentiles, the pagans, the heathen, the ones that don't know God, the ones that God will save, but don't live like that. In the vanity of their mind, literally their vain mind, the, the depravity of their mind. Hey, by the way, the purpose of the mind is to understand who God is and what God has said. 
That's why God has given us the faculties of our mind. But something tragic happened at the fall of man as sin entered into the world and death by sin, man died spiritually. So the things that are in the word of God, natural man, apart from the spirit of God, helping him understand that he's a sinner and there's nothing he can do to save himself and what Jesus did on the cross. He can't understand these things, Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter number two, because they are spiritually discerned. That means this, you and I need help from the Holy Spirit of God to understand his word because we are depraved apart from God's work. Now we refute every ounce and every facet of Calvinism that says that God died only for a certain group. No, 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 friend. The Bible says that he died for all mankind. Therefore, all may be saved. It's what the Word of God very plainly declares. And yet, nonetheless, it doesn't take away from the fact of what chapter 4 and 17, 18 and 19 is saying about our lost state. It was not you seeking God, but it was God seeking you. Having, verse number 18 now, the understanding darkened. Having the understanding darkened. Being, as it says here, alienated. You know what that means? That means separated from God, estranged from God. Shut out from fellowship. Shut out from intimacy. Alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them. Through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. Ignorance, there is a want of knowledge, a moral blindness. But listen, friend, it is not an innocent ignorance. It is a willful ignorance. In fact, as he uses the word blindness there, it is also the word hardness. And in Mark chapter 3 and verse number 5, that when Jesus looked around about on them, uh, being grieved for the hardness of their heart. That's the same word. The blindness of the heart, the hardness of the heart. In fact, he said it to Nicodemus in John chapter 3 and verse 19 and 20, that they don't come to the light because they don't like the light. They love darkness. It's willful. Verse number, verse number 19, who being past what? Feeling, who being past feeling, they are callous, they're without shame, have given themselves over unto lasciviousness. That means sexual sin that's out of control. Should you and I be surprised at the level of lasciviousness given in our culture since there's a lack of uh, uh, people that know the Lord in our culture? They're given over into lasciviousness, to uncleanness. That means impurity. With greediness. You know what that means? Insatiableness. Which means this, never satisfied. Never satisfied. But Paul interjects right there at verse number 20, doesn't he? And he says this, but, oh my soul, thank God for that conjunction but ye have not so learned Christ. In other words, he's saying this, listen, he saved you out of that kind of life. You're not to live that way anymore. That's how you used to live, but that's not how you ought to live today. You didn't get that from Jesus. You've not so learned Christ. 
You and I as believers, and there may be someone here that's not saved, and we are earnestly praying that God might help you to come to faith in Jesus and be forever saved because that's what salvation is. It's a, it's a, it's a no-so salvation. It's a forever salvation. But you and I as believers, we must interact with unbelievers to help them understand the gospel. But we must never imitate them. Interact, yes. Imitate, no. Paul is essentially saying this. Live in light of who you are, not in light of who you were. Live in light of who you are in Christ, not in light of who you were. And if we're going to teach them We've got to live by what he taught us. So that's what verse 20 and following is all about. There should be a difference in the way that we are living. In Christ, they were doing uh, more than okay. They're in Christ. But evidently this fact that he's dealing with this indicates there were believers there that were still lying, stealing, not working, dealing with bitterness and envy and strife. In Christ, they were doing okay, but in life, they weren't doing so well. I'm probably always going to remember mile marker 113 in Arkansas on I-40. Is it mile 113 that I saw blue lights behind my red pickup truck just a few years ago, a couple of years ago? I looked down immediately, as we all do, at my speedometer, and I was doing just fine. I had it set on cruise to make sure that I was not going over. So I, I did not know exactly what was going on. I was listening to an audio book and I was trying to get to a certain setting on that. I pulled over and the dear um, state trooper, uh, she said, uh, are you doing okay? And I tried to assure her, yes, ma'am, I'm doing okay. She, <laughs> she said, did you realize that you had veered over into the center, into the, the, the middle of the lane? And, uh, you know, they got good reason to stop people and ask. <laughs> they got good reason. And I said, ma'am, I, you know, I, I, I was, I'm listening to audio book and may, I don't think I realized that I had drifted over there. And, and, and so she said, well, let me go back. She went back to her car and she ran, you know, all the, get the information. I sure was hoping it wasn't going to show that I was a pastor, but anyways, it, <laughs> she went back and did all that. <laughs> hey, listen. I was doing okay, but at that moment, I wasn't doing right. I was a danger to others. You know what, what Paul's doing here? In Christ, they are doing okay, if I could use it that loosely. They are in Christ. Hey, listen, they're doing great. But isn't it true that you and I, spiritually, can get out of our lane? Can get out of, out of God's will even as believers. That does not mean that you lose salvation. You can't lose salvation because once you are regenerate, you can't be unregenerate. You don't see that in scripture. 
In fact, what Jesus taught you, you've not so learned Christ. That's where he's going. You have not so learned Christ. Because if you look at the next verse here, as we continue on in verse number 21, if so be that ye have heard him and been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. And here's what he's teaching him, that you put off the old man, that you put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, verse number 24, and that you put on the new man. Okay, wait a minute, you gotta bear with me here just a second because is he saying that Jesus taught you to put off the old man and to put on the new man or is Jesus teaching you that you, that you put off the old man and that you put on the new man? Grammatically, whether in Greek or in English, it can go either way. Theologically, and according to the Bible, it can only go one way because the author has an intended meaning. So is he saying Listen, Jesus taught you it is your responsibility to put off the old man. Well, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Time out. Stop the bus. What is the old man? It's that old sin nature. It's your former unregenerate self. It's the unregenerate man. You put off the old man and you put on the new man. Now, wait a minute. Did they put, on the, put off the old man and put on the new man? No, that's a work of the Holy Spirit of God to bring them to the new birth. So I don't think what Paul is saying is that, listen, it is your responsibility to put off the old man and to put on the new man. In fact, those two verbs there, put and put, are in what's called the aorist tense, which is, means it is a completed action. In fact, all you got to do is just look at the, at the sister passages in Colossians 3 that Brother David will read in just a few moments that, that says that you put off the old man concerning, and it, it's in the past tense as well. They're very, very clear that this is something that has happened in the past that has ongoing results in your life today. So the idea here is that this is a completed action. This is a completed action, but sandwiched right between those two verses is verse number 23. Is that right? And be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Are we doing right? Yes, there it is. Verse 23. Yeah, 23 is still between 22 and 24. 23. Be renewed is in the present tense. Wait a minute. Don't let all this go by you because here's what this is saying. Listen, this is a completed action. You have been born again. The old man is off. The new man is on. You need to think that way. Live that way. Don't live like you were, live like you are. And thus verse 25 through verse number 32, he talks about the deeds that are associated with the old man. And you are to put off, and that is an imperative there. Stop lying. Stop being sinfully angry. Stop stealing. Start working, start giving. Those are imperatives, but that is imperatives are coming out of what Jesus taught us. Because Jesus taught us this, and I had no clue when I brought this bucket out into the service that on this side it says this. Do it right. You know, sometimes God just takes your illustrations and puts them at another level. Because I'm not smart enough to figure stuff out like that. But here I am the whole time, you know, holding this bucket. And Brother John Davis, it was in the back. And Angie said, do you realize what the bucket said? I said, what, Lowe's? <laughs> it just so happened that I held it. Is it shining your way? It's kind of bright, kind of visible. It's like a message maybe that God was using to send all of the people that were there. Hey, listen, you need to do right. 
your believer. We can't teach them what he taught us if we're not living by what he taught us. Thank God for a man named David Milliken, who when he got saved at age 30, got real serious. Listen, maybe that's what some of you need to do is get real serious about this matter of learning who Jesus is and knowing your Savior and having a relationship with him and learning what he taught you and how to live and, and really internalizing this so that then you can do it right. Live right, do right, do right. And then you can teach others to do right and carry your five gallon bucket every Sunday morning. And teach other kids to do it right. But you can't do that if you're not living right. We can't teach them if we're not living according to what he taught us. Taught by him to teach them. They need to be taught. Lost sinners need to be taught the way of salvation. New believers need to be taught. I was so glad Brother Raspberry called, saw so many people. Y'all packed some people in that class this morning. Took the tables out, put chairs in, and still too full. Planted. That gives me evidence. There are some people here that really want to try to grow in the Christian life. It's wonderful. New believers that are just like, fantastic. Man, that's exciting. And then Sunday school classes. And you're here. My soul that tells me that you have an interest in spiritual things. That's wonderful. But listen, folks, isn't it, isn't it true that even in our Christian life, we can kind of just start to veer, get distracted by... Blue lights just came on. Maybe God's stopping you today to say, hey, uh, you know, you haven't been living like a Christian. You know why you haven't been living like a Christian? Because you haven't been thinking like a Christian. You need to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. It's sad if the typical life of a believer today is just as sexually perverse as an unbeliever. That ought not be. He's going to deal with that in chapter 5. It's sad if a marriage isn't, isn't doing what God wants to do. He's going to deal with that in chapter 5. Or parenting. Or working a job. Hey, David Milklin had 18 to 20 co-workers here. You know what that tells me? At work, he did it right. It's a way of life. And since it's a way of life, it's a way of thinking. And since it's a way of thinking, we need a good source. And since we have the perfect source... And the perfect Savior, we need to get to know Him and what He has taught us about how to live and pick up our bucket and go teach somebody else. You got it? Taught by Him to teach them. Let's stand together here this morning. Thank you for your kind attention. Maybe God has arrested your attention here this morning. Perhaps it's because of the way that you, even as a believer, have been living. Thank God that he cares enough about you to stop you. Address the way that you've been living, the way that you've been thinking. You've not so learned Christ. It may be that God has paused you or caused you to stop here today because you're not saved and you need salvation. He cares that much about you, dear friend, that he, he committed his love towards you, that in that while you were yet a sinner, Christ died in your place. We invite you to come. We're going to have an invitation song here this morning, page 175, I believe it is. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from, I'm sorry, 255 rather, there, and I apologize. Is thy heart right with God? That is so, such a good song.
for us to consider here because it has to do with our thoughts. Thoughts about God, thoughts about one another, thoughts about life. Dear God, help us in our thinking. You've taught us to live a certain way. And God, I pray that you'd help us, Lord, help us to be purified. You want a clean and a holy church. Cleanse us, dear Lord. Help us in every way. God, I pray for the man or the lady that's here today that doesn't know you as Savior. I pray earnestly that he or she would understand their great need of salvation, that eternity is forever, and that they need salvation. Thank you that you saved the people living in Ephesus and began to radically change their life. And you've done the same here in Oklahoma City. We give you praise and honor for it. Thank you for teaching us, dear God. Help us to have a heart to teach others. In Jesus' name, amen.